Well, let's take our Bibles this morning then and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to finish the chapter this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It seems like we've been in here for a while, but we will finish up this chapter this morning. Our text this morning will be verses 32 to 40. Paul writes, But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. But if a man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, if he if she is past her youth, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then, both he who gives his virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I also have the Spirit of God. There ends the reading of God's inerrant word this morning. Let us go to the Lord in prayer before we tackle our text this morning. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your word. We are continually reminded that you gave us your word in human language so that we could understand it. You gave us reasons to understand your word. And so I pray that this morning that your Holy Spirit will illuminate this word for us, that he will teach us, and that we will grasp the truths of this word and apply them to our lives. I pray that as we maybe consider some concepts that we have never thought of in depth, that you will give us the grace to accept and to think them through. So, Lord, build your church here this morning because we have heard from our God through your word this morning, I pray in your name. Amen. Well, we have been dealing in this section with marriage. The whole chapter 7 in, in 1 Corinthians has, has been dealing with the question of marriage. And of course, Paul has now started a section where he is answering questions that have been asked by the Corinthians, and Paul is now responding to them. And so as he comes and he has comes, as he's been going through this section, he has been, we have been learning certain things about marriage. And the first thing that we, we learned 
is, simp- is about marriage and maybe about, about life is simply this. When it comes to the question of marriage or should we be married or not, that being single is actually a good thing. That being single is actually a good thing. It's not a state where somehow someone has fallen in disrepair or somehow someone has come to a second-class citizen. In fact, there are those that it is good for them not to be married. Secondly, we saw that that being single is a gift of God. In other words, it is a gift that has been given by God, and it is something that is given to certain individuals, but not to most. And so we would say that if it's been given by God, it must be a good thing. In other words, God has intended for some to be what? Single. Now, we, we realized that there was two kinds of thoughts going through Corinth, right? We had the, on the one side those who said being single was what? The greatest thing. I mean, spiritually, I mean, you were, it was the bomb to be single. And so if you were single, that, God could use you the greatest. This was the highest form, right? So we had those who wanted to ditch their marriages and get out of there. We've got others who thought, well, they shouldn't get married because after all, that, that's just a second-class place to be. And then we had the Jews on the other side who, who said what? Marriage is what? The ab- that was the bomb, right? This was what you needed to do. You needed to get married because after all, God said in Genesis what? Be fruitful and multiply. You didn't get married. You didn't do your part. You were breaking God's command for man. You needed to be married. In fact, they said, if you didn't have a marriage, you know what? Those who didn't make it into heaven were what? Those who didn't get married. And so you've got these two conflicting thoughts. And so Paul is trying to sort this all out as he comes through. And he says, no, actually, it's okay to be single. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's also a gift. So it's not for everyone. And then he said, guess what? Your marital status doesn't affect your relationship, your salvation. It doesn't make you more spiritual. And so he wants to, he wants to correct some thinking here, and he wants to, to get them back to biblical thinking about marriage and what it can do. And then as Paul comes to verses 25 to 40, he now basically is is answering the question about staying single and he wants to and he's going to say listen here are some reasons or here are some 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 suggestions as to why it might be good for you to stay single now we don't normally hear that we don't normally hear the part about what being single we live especially in the Christian communities, and we, we are very much pushing people to get married. And for most of us, that's where, where we go, right? For most of us, we will get married. But we also have to recognize amongst us, there are those who God raises up who he has gifted to be single. Those who don't burn, those who are not, who are in control of their bodies, whose sexual urges are not so controlling that, that they are distorting them and they are fighting with them all the time. And Paul says, for those who burn, why get married? Now, he's not saying this is, this is the way to deal with lust, but he, what he is saying is God has made us all different. And for some of us, marriage 
and the relationship within the marriage is what God has created us to be. In fact, for most of us, that is where we will be. But he says, for some of you, you have to recognize you have been gifted to be single. And so he says, I want, I want you to understand this, that there is a place for being single. And maybe you at Corinth, who have this Jewish population that is saying marriage or bust, need to recognize that there are some among you who have been gifted to be single and you need to consider that singleness is actually a good thing. And so as he comes here, he gives us really six clarifications as to what to consider that why singleness might be for you. He gives us six clarifications. Now, last week we saw three of those clarifications. He said in verse 25, the first clarification, maybe staying single is preferable in these perilous times, in verse 25. In other words, there, there is a time of trouble that is here. He says, I don't have a command, but he says, in view of the present distress, sorry, verse 6, 26, he says, I don't have a command for the Lord. I'm, I'm just giving you some principles. I'm just giving you some uh, ideas that are to be applied to every situation. In other words, I don't have, these principles may not apply and they may apply differently to different people. So, but the principle themselves, he says, I, I got them from God. These, are, these are, are, are good and true. And so you can apply them to your situation. He says the first one, that first clarification is simply this, perilous times. He said there, and so we, we looked at that last week and we really said, well, what does he mean by perilous times? And we said, well, it's hard to know <laughs> because some people say, well, there was persecution at Corinth, but we can't find that. Some people say, well, there was famine. And so if you're going to get married and have children, more mouths to feed, more difficult to take care of someone else and, and maybe children. So famine's the problem. But Paul often uses this word to refer really to the end times, to, to, to the last days that started with Christ. And so he could be saying simply this, as a Christian, you are going to suffer per persecution in this life. And maybe even in history, there will be various times where this will come and go, just like it did for them in 10 years. Nero comes on the scene, right? There can be war, there can be famine, there can be all of these things involved also with being a, a believer and persecution that comes in. He might he's simply saying, listen, you might want to consider that in light of the persecution that comes as a believer, that maybe you're better off being single. In other words, if, 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 and if you want to understand that the best way that you can serve God, and this is really that overarching principle that we saw last week, how can you best serve God? How can you best serve the Lord Jesus Christ is really the underlying this whole thing of singleness. How can I serve God best? He says, maybe it would be best not to have the concerns of family. And that goes for, for, for women and it goes for men, right? Both of you. Maybe it's best that you aren't having to deal with that so that as you do ministry, as you are persecuted, as you serve the Lord, you're not encumbered by worry about your family, worried about your children, about their safety, anxiety over that. 
And so he says, maybe it's better as you look to get married, remember, and you feel like maybe you have the gift of singleness, that this is one consideration to make. Am I, maybe I'd be better off not concerning myself with a family that will keep me from being able to serve the Lord as I should. And then we saw the second points, the pressures of marriage. He says the pressures of marriage. Maybe the pressures of, mar- of marriage should help you consider maybe this is one reason to stay single. Now, what does he mean by, by the problems of the flesh? I think this is what he means. It's simply this. You get two, two people who are not perfect together that does not equal perfection right? Two imperfects does not make it perfect, right? We put people together and the next thing we know what? Even two believers who still have that remnant of the flesh that's susceptible to sin and we put them together and what? Sparks fly, right? We have trouble. And we, we talked about that last week, right? We have, how many seminars have you been to on singleness? But you can go to the internet and you can buy book after book after book and you can buy video series and you can go on weekends. What? All to repair the marriage. Why? Because there's trouble that comes. And he says, listen, it may be that though, though you could get married, God has give, gifted you enough that you don't need to get married and you can not have all your energy being spent in this arena where you're not going to be in that conflict and you can have your life devoted to God. Now, marriage is a wonderful thing and, it, and it, it, God often uses it as sandpaper in our lives to sanctify us. But he said, there may be for some of you that this battle is a battle you don't have to fight. He said, you'll have trouble in this life. Well, guess what? You can avoid that by not being married. And he said, if this is how you can serve the Lord the best, maybe this is how you should consider singleness. Now remember, we keep going back to that same thing. This is how you can serve the Lord Jesus Christ the most. And then he said, thirdly, the passing of this world. And we really saw that the passing of this world, the temporariness of this world, and, and how soon th- that Christ could return, that this, this world system is passing away and everything that we live for here, that the time, basically the time is short. Whether it's your life or whether it's the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, time is short. It's of the essence. How can you use your time best in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ? And so are you spending your time, as it were, uh, with the things of this world? Or are you spending them for the Lord Jesus Christ? And so he really gave us, and we saw this quickly last week, he gave us a list of things. This world is passing away. He says you're supposed to live as if you don't have a wife. What? What does that mean? Well, he doesn't say abandon your wife or ignore your wife he's simply saying don't make your marriage the center of your life what that sounds counterintuitive well it is the center of your life after what your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and your service to him 
but your marriage shouldn't be an idol that keeps you from service to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, don't, don't get caught in the temporal. Think of the eternal even as you go. He says, don't seek, uh, he says, um, he says, for those who weep as those who don't weep. Now, he's not saying don't be sympathetic, but what we said he is saying what? Don't get sorrowful about this world. Don't get so caught up in the things of this world that when circumstances or people die or whatever it is that you're broken and you just weep and want everything of this world. He says it's passing away. Rejoice, he says, and, and don't get caught up in rejoicing with those who rejoice too much. In other words, this world's circumstances and, and making all kinds of joy about the things of this world. But rather, your service to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, and, buy, and those who buy as though they do not possess. In other words, don't, don't make possessions and spend all your time going after those things. And those who use the world as those they do not. And we said, really... The idea was those who tried to get as much out of this life as possible, right? We talked about swimming with the dolphins and climbing the top of Mount Everest, and we want to go to the, to the desert and feel the heat, and we want to experience every culture and everything in the world. And he says, don't spend your time being using this world and trying to get every single experience out of it. Spend your time serving the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's what counts for eternity. And so he says, here, here are three clarifications. Here are three things to consider. The perilous times, the pressures of marriage, and the passing of this world. It's temporary. And so he says, lift your eyes up. Well, now this morning as we go, he gives us a fourth consideration. The fourth consideration of why it might be better to be single. And that is really the preoccupation of the married, the preoccupation of the married. He says in verse 32, but I want you to be free from concern. I want you to be free. I want you to be free from concern. I want you to be free from anxiety. He says, following on that verse, one who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may be pleased the Lord. So he says, I want you to be free from what concern, what anxiety? The anxiety of the things that come with marriage. Now, I just want you to know, Paul is not negative against marriage. But we have to be real that certain things happen when you get married that are different than when you're single. When you were single, right, you could stay up as late as you wanted. You could come in when you wanted. You could go out when you wanted. You ate what want, you wanted, right? Some of you even watched TV while you ate, right? You could do that because there's no one to be accountable to. But when you get married, things change. You're now accountable to someone. You now have responsibilities with someone. And so he's not being negative, but he's just being realistic that there are responsibilities that come with marriage he says, the one who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord. He's eager for the, the things of the Lord. He's anxious about the Lord. How he may what? Please the Lord. He wants to please the Lord. In other words, he wants to be winsome. He wants to do whatever he can that is pleasing to God. 
In other words, there's nothing there that keeps him because he has no other concern. Now, just so that we know, Paul is talking about potential here. Not everyone who is single is actually realizing what God is, the opportunity that God has given them, right? We know there are people who are single because they are selfish, right? There are those who just would rather have their own way and do their own thing than have to be accountable to anybody else. There are those who out of laziness don't get there. So there, there is more than one way to be single. But he says, for those who have the gift of being single, actually, this, this, there is potential to be able to use your life to serve God in, in, a, in, a, in a more systematic way and more unencumbered way. He says, but the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord that she may be holy in body and spirit. But the one who is married concerning about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And so he simply states the reality. When you are married, there is going to be part of your energy that is going to be used and part of your time that is used in in fulfilling the needs of your partner. And it's a good thing. God has called, said marriage is a good thing. He says, Paul says, if you marry, it's what? A good thing. But the reality is it takes time. It takes effort. It takes resources. When you're single, right? You can, you don't have, you're not worried about a beautiful house over your head, right? I mean, I think if, if we, if we, if we, especially men, if they were single, right? What would they live in? I'm always, I'm always reminded of Tim the, ten, t, uh, t, t, Tim the Toolman Taylor, right? A guy's house would probably look like it was made out of stainless steel with a pressure washer and a garbage disposer in the middle, and that's the way he would live, right? Quick, clean, everything done, finished. No softness, no color, no niceness, right? It's bare bones. And as a single guy, you can do that. You can live in a junky place. You can live in a place in a neighborhood that's sketchy. Why? Because you're not f afraid. But a married guy is all of a sudden going to have to be taking care of his wife and making sure that she's provided for and in, in in her safety. And it's going to take more, more money and more effort. You're feeding more mouths, right? So there are incumbences that come. Now notice this. He says he wants to please his wife and wants to, she wants to please her husband. Incumbent in that is that's actually what you're supposed to do as a married person. If you want to be pleasing to God and you want to be pleasing to God in all your decisions and all your relationships, then you who are married, it's actually legitimate to what to want to what? Please your spouse, right? There's actually a godly call for you to do what is good for them, to be winsome, to do what is, that is, that is to, to, curry favor with them. 
And so he says, this is actually, this isn't, now I want you to be careful, Mary people. This is not a compromise, okay? This isn't a compromise. Oh, well, yeah, I got I to gotta please my wife, right? Hmm. What a duty. No, actually, that's something to your to embrace. This is something that you're called to do. So this isn't pleasing your wife and being concerned about those things actually is not a bad thing. It is just the reality of the situation, and it is exactly what God's called you to do. And so we must make sure that we are trying to be pleasing to our mates. He says, how he may please his wife and his interests are what? Divided. In other words, there's going to be a division of time and effort because there must be. The, unbelie- the single person does not have that. Now it says here, the, virgin is cons- the, the, unmarried, the woman who is unmarried and the virgin, what does he mean by that? Well, they're not the same. The unmarried here is referring to those who, who are either widowed or divorced, and the virgin refers to those who have what? Never been married. And he says, they are concerned about the things of the Lord so that she might be both holy in body and spirit. But pastor, I thought you said that being single was no more spiritual than being married. And yet, Look at here. Look at here. She will be both holy and what? Spiritual. What, what does that mean? What does it mean that she will be both holy in body and in spirit? That sounds more spiritual to me. He's simply saying this. The word holy can mean what? free from sin but holy also means what set apart holiness is set apart and he's simply saying that because she is unmarried she is set apart to God in body and in spirit in other words she is she is fully unencumbered there's nothing that keeps her because she can be fully committed to God. There's nothing in her life where she must commit to anything else. She's completely set apart. And so he's not saying, oh, there's this new spiritual level. He's simply saying the reality is she's got nothing else to be set apart from. There's no division there. Therefore, she can be wholly set apart in her service to the Lord. He says in verse 35, this I say to you for your own benefit, not for, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. So he's saying, I, I am, I'm giving you this information about the ability for us to be free from the preoccupations of marriage. If you have the gift of singleness, you don't have to get married. He says, I'm saying this for your benefit. I'm doing it for, so, so that it is, is good for you. And he says, I'm, I'm not putting a restraint on you. I'm not making a command. I'm not saying you can't get married. But he says, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want to what, promote what is 
appropriate? What's right for you? What's good for you? And he says, and, and here's the bottom line, and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. I want for you, in whatever state you're to be in, to be, have undistracted devotion to the Lord. I want you to be completely sold out that there's nothing in your life that distracts you from your ability to serve the Lord. Now, just so you don't misunderstand me. For those who do not have the gift of singleness, being single will not make you more devoted to the Lord. Right? Because he says, if you burn, what? Get married. And if you spend all your, your life burning, you're going to spend more energy fighting your flesh than you are serving the Lord. And you will not be devoted to his service because you'll be spending all your time trying to fight this area of temptation. And God has made us all differently with different appetites and different strengths. And Paul says, listen, I'm not saying that everyone should be single because they shouldn't. Marriage is a good thing. And for most of you, and for most of us, being married is a better way to serve God than being single. Most of us need companionship. Most of us need responsibility. Most of us need the love of someone else. Most of us need the physical relationship that comes with marriage. It's just a fact, right? If the physical relationship in a marriage is not fulfilled, you end up most of the time with very grumpy people, right? They keep boxers celibate before a fight. Why? Because there's a certain grumpiness and aggression that comes. And most of us are going to be made that way. So Paul is not dishing marriage. He's saying for those who have this gift and God has made it so that they can, consider this. Consider that you will be able to be what? Undistracted with the preoccupations of marriage and you're going to be able to serve the Lord. Well, he says, here's some things, some clarifications. Perilous times the pressures of marriage, the passing of this world, the preoccupation of marriage, and then fifthly, he says, personal preference. Personal preference. Look with me at verse 36. But if a man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly to a virgin daughter, if she is past her youth, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided in his own heart to keep her his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. 
Now, if you have the ESV, what I just read looks completely different. Now, the, the translators of the ESV have seen that this section is referring to someone who is betrothed. And it's speaking to a young man who's already betrothed, and this is his really hit, giving him permission to marry and not to, or not to marry. And so they have taken this passage from the perspective of a young man who is considering marriage. But I think as I study it and, and as I would understand it, at least this point in my life, that I would understand that the New American Standard writers have interpreted it correctly. That the language here is speaking of the idea of a father giving away his daughter in marriage. And so as he starts through this, then he says this, but if any man thinks that he's acting unbecomingly towards his virgin daughter, if she is past her use, it must be so. Let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let her marry. And so the idea here is this man, this man that's spoken of is the father. If a father thinks he's acting unbecoming to his virgin daughter, if she is past her use, he must let, it, let him let her be married. So what is going on here in this verse? Well, if we go back, we understand that in the first century and in the Jewish cultures, that parents were involved in marriage. And I, I've been introducing this idea to my, to my daughters and they're thrilled. Um, where the, especially the fathers were involved in picking what? The spouse for their children. And so we see this over and over in scripture where there where are those who are having their spouse chose for them. I mean, we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 24. Abraham to get a wife, uh, a wife for Isaac. It says in Genesis 24 that Abraham was old and well stricken in age. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but thou shalt go into my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. So here we have parents who are what? Heavily involved in what? Getting a spouse for their child. Hagar did that for Ishmael. Judah selected a wife for Judah. So again, there, are, there is this idea that parents are what? Selecting a spouse for their children. Now to our ears, that just sounds terrible. We're, we live in a, in a society of, of, of romance, right? Where children, where children just fall in love get to choose who they are. And it's interesting, in a society that has married for love, we have the highest divorce rate any time in history. But that go, that's, goes to another, another topic. It's interesting that even later on, as around 500 BC, there was a thing called marriage brokers. Now, this is well after Paul wrote this. 
they began to appear. These brokers, much like the film Filler on the Roof, were, con were consulted for marriage for your children. You would consult them for someone for your child. You would give him or her a list of qualification. He would match your child with a mate. Now, some people have said this is what's happened all the time in, in the Old Testament, but, but I don't think that's actually the case. In this, and what I mean by this is I think there was actually input from the children as well. I don't think there's any parent who would, at least a loving parent, who would just impose some, somebody on their child as a husband or wife, at least a, a believing Christian. And so we do know this, that when Abraham asked Rebecca's parents if she could marry Isaac, they said, we will call the dans, dans, damsel and inquire at her mouth. And they called Rebecca and said to her, wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. So Rebecca was consulted and made her choice to go with the servant of Isaac. And so there is, there, there does appear to be in scripture this, this give and take where fathers would talk with their sons and their daughters and they would consult even though the father would ultimately be, be the one who would uh, spearhead what was going on. Now we also know this, that in 1 Samuel chapter 18, it says, and Michael, Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David, and they told Saul, and the and the thing pleased him, and Saul said, I will give him to her. So again, there seems to be this idea that there was what? Input from the children as well as the parents. So this is not just a hierarchical, we're going to ruin your life, we're going to tell you everything, but there seems to have been a consultation and a back and forth with the parents with ultimately what? The father spearheading this, right? The father, as the spiritual head of the home, the one who is protecting the children, would ultimately be involved in this process. And so when it says here, but if a man thinks that he's acting unbecoming to his virgin daughter, if she has passed her youth, it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin, let her marry. It appears that there were fathers in Corinth who in their excitement, maybe to serve the Lord and maybe because of the pollution of Corinth and, and maybe the corruption of the male population, maybe because of those who had influenced them that marriage was a bad thing and, and that singlehood was where it at, had made a vow that they would keep their young daughters from, from getting married, that they would keep them as virgins, they wouldn't get married and they would be dedicated to the service of the Lord. And you can see, especially when kids are young, this might be easy to talk them into that, right? At five or six years of old, you say to them, hey, I'm going to dedicate you to the Lord. You're never going to get married. And they go, ooh, boys, ooh, girls, right? And so they're all on board. But it says here, if she is past her youth, if she's past her youth, and the idea here is not that she's old, but that she has finally 
come into full womanhood. She is now capable of bearing children. She is fully developed. She is fully grown up. And he says, when this happens, you may find out that the girl who thought she had the gift of singleness at 10, at 16 or 17 or 18, might all of a sudden, she's got those hormones rushing through her. She finds out, really, I don't have what the gift of singleness, and I want to get married. And the father at this point might be saying, yeah, but I've already dedicated you to the Lord. I've already made a vow that I'm going to give you to the Lord and you'll serve your life that way. And Paul really just says, listen, if it must be so, let him do as he wishes. He does not sin. In other words, the father might be having regrets at this point and saying, I wish I wouldn't have said that. My daughter wants to get married. And he says, guess what? Do what you wish. Let her get married. In other words, don't stand in her way. If she doesn't have the gift of singleness, you as a father, what? Let her go. Let her be married. Just because you made a vow doesn't mean that you what? Keep her single. But he says this. He says you don't sin. And the idea is not that you're sinning by, but the, by the marriage but sinning by letting her get married and breaking your vow. The, the, the sin is the, the vow, not the marriage. He says, but he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his will and is decided in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. Simply put, if you are, if you are set and you have talked with your daughter you have recognized that she has the gift of singleness as you guys have worked it through together and you now stand firm in your heart, being under no constraint. In other words, there's nothing here that, that is conflicting you. There's nothing here that is keeping you from your strong conviction. There's nothing that's tugging at you. You have authority over your will. There's nothing, nothing that is still pushing you and has decided his own heart. You're settled there. The decision is final. To keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. In other words, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Because your daughter is what? Gifted with singleness. And so after that discussion and after going through and after recognizing and understand this, parents. Your children have been given parents for a reason. Because they need them. And God expects you as a parent to also to consider this option for your child and to see if God is gifted in this way. And he may give you insight that your child doesn't have yet. And so you can help them through this. And they, you need to listen to them, but you are also what God has given you to them to guide them. And so you must be willing to actually go down this path instead of pushing everyone down the marriage trail because there may be those who God has gifted to be single and you need to be willing as a mom and as a dad to do what's right for the glory of God and the service of God rather than your desire to have your children married, to have grandchildren and do the family thing. So he says, then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well. 
He says it's a good thing. It's a good thing to give him in marriage. And he who does not give her in marriage will do better. Better. When's the last time that you can think of that you have ever said, it would be better for my child to get married. It'd be good for them to get married, but it'd be better for them to be single. Now, I'm not a betting man. But I know those words have never crossed my mind, never crossed my lips. And yet, who says this? God does. God does. God does. And he says, if, if someone is gifted with singleness, it's better for them to be single. It's actually better for them to be single. Now, he doesn't say they have to stay single. And this is the craziest thing. Because God has given the gift of singleness. And it's the only gift that I know that God has given that he actually doesn't require that you use. Because he says it's, 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 he does well to, if she gets married. He does better if she doesn't. Now, this just might throw all of our theology off. Because guess what? God just said it was okay to do something good over something that's not, that's something better. Think about that. God said it's okay to do something good over something better. Now we have a tendency to get our own personal convictions and to, to live our lives according to what we think is the ultimate right. Don't we? We have all those areas in our lives where we, we start to think and we think, well, this is best and this is what we must do. And we can turn our personal convictions into what? Right and wrong. He doesn't say right and wrong here, does he? Does he say right and wrong? He says, well, and better. And we have a tendency to take good and better and make them right and wrong. And yet the word of God doesn't. <laughs> interesting isn't it and so we we've got to be careful in our own lives where we don't start pushing people into what we think is the best when God says actually good is good enough right and so we have to allow God to work in people's lives and not to impose our standards on others and so he says he does better he does better why because that's the way she's gifted. That might be where God has called her and where he can use her the best or him. And so he says, personal preference. Personal preference. You can, you can stay single just because you choose. God's gifted you and you can choose to use that gift rather than get married. Well, sixthly, he says this. Not only are we to consider perilous times, the pressures of marriage, the passing world, the preoccupation of marriage, personal conviction, but I want us to see, last of all, the permanence of marriage, the permanence of marriage. He says a wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. 
Now, some people were wondering how, why Paul tacked this on, but I think he's really pointing to the fact that, guess what? Stay as you are, because guess what? Marriage is permanent. He says, a wife is bound as long as her husband lives. In other words, marriage is for life. You can't get out of it. It's not like going down to the pound and getting a puppy and you try it out for a while and if you don't like it, you take the puppy back. Marriage isn't like that. Marriage is for life. It is permanent. And once you've entered it in, you can't say, oops. And if you're gifted with singleness, recognize that once you get married, you are stuck. Sounds awful, but you are there for life. And you can't get out of it. And it may, you might want to consider that if you're not gifted for marriage, placing yourself there will vex you more than if you were single. Because there's no backing out, right? It says until, unless he dies, right? Unless he dies. But if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes. Now, just so you know, that's not a call to action. That's not a call to make that happen, right? Right? That's not an, that's not a, an affirmative statement. That's just saying that if he happens to pass away, right, you're free. You're no longer bound to that marriage. But as long as he's alive, right, Romans 7, you are what? You are bound with them. You can't get away. He says, but if the husband is dead, she is free to marry whom she wishes only in the Lord. So he says, actually, if, if your husband dies, guess what? Or if your wife dies, you are what? Free to what? Marry again. You're only what? In the Lord. In other words, here's probably the clearest statement that you are to what? Marry a believer in scripture. It says not be, be unequally yoked, but you could say, well, yeah, that's talking about business. And certainly has the application to marriage. But here's the clearest thing in scripture that you are to what? Marry a believer. In the Lord. Not saying that you're supposed to marry in the name of the Lord. But you are to marry what? Someone who is in the Lord. Someone who's saved. And so Paul says she's free to remarry. And she's, but she must marry a believer. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think I also have the spirit of God. So he says, but in my opinion, right? I think she's better to what? Remain the way she is. She's better to serve the Lord as she is now than to get married again. Now, this is Paul's opinion. But Paul is saying, I think it, it might be advantageous for her to serve the Lord single than to be remarried and carried away with the things of the world. And he says, I think I also have the spirit of God. And I think there's a little sarcasm in Paul here because he's been dealing with false teachers and he's been dealing with those who have said, well, we have the spirit and this is the way things are. After all, you, sh you should be single. No, you need to get married. And Paul says, guess what? I have something to say and guess what? I'm saying it because what? I've got the spirit too. I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a man who's trustworthy. 
And therefore, what I'm saying to you, you need to listen to because what I'm telling you is right and true. And so Paul, as he comes through this section here, says, here are some things to consider. Here are some reasons that maybe you would stay single. Maybe some things to consider if you think you may be gifted with singleness. Here's some things to consider. Now you might say, well, shouldn't it just be just as clear as day? Shouldn't it be just clear as day? Shouldn't we just know who's supposed to be single and who's married? And the answer to that is no. That's why we have the what? The principles to apply to every situation because we're all gifted to varying degrees, right? If I was to tell you that you had to come up here and give a five-minute speech, some of you would jump up because you think you have something to say. Some of you would hide underneath your bench and you would say, I would rather walk across glass and talk in front of people. Why? Different gifting, right? Some of us can teach. Some of us try to teach and leave people confused, right? Different degrees of ability. So it is with what? Singleness. We're all different. We're all individual. We all have a different gifting and a different degree of gifting. And some of us might be kind of in that, that middle where we're not sure. And so Paul says, put this to you. And he says, well, guess what? You may have been able to been single, but guess what? If you choose to marriage, it's good. But also for some of you, consider that maybe being single is what God's plan is for you. And if he's gifted you that way, Paul says, I think it's good if you exercise that. I think it's advantageous. It's advantageous for you so that you can serve the Lord Jesus Christ the best. And really Paul through this whole thing challenges all of us. Every decision, everything that we do in life are we having that same mindset? Are we considering that every decision and everything that we do, how does that affect our service for the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we living lives in our situation and in, in the in circumstances that we are in? Are we living unencumbered and undistracted in our service for the Lord? And so he challenges us married and single alike are you living an unencumbered life for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? Consider that everything that you do, how does it help you serve the Lord Jesus Christ? And he says, do that. Do that for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. And we do thank you for this section on singleness. It's a section that we often don't think of, Lord, but we pray that you would help us as parents, as young people, to consider what your word says and that we would consider that to live a life that is unencumbered for your service and for your glory. I pray that you would give us wisdom and a willingness to go
where your leading goes. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church and as parents to be sensitive to your calling in our children's lives, that you might be glorified and they might live lives for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, I pray in your name. Amen.